0: Like a first anointing on something. Um, there's an, there's, that's the first time we've heard this. It's written by our team. They're not singing somebody else's song. And there's something about that that I was looking at those ocean waves on the on the screen. And there's something about those waves breaking over when it's a new, fresh anointing. When it's a fresh, new start. And it's just rolling. See, it, no wave is the same. Everyone is different. Everyone comes at a different angle. And gosh, it's so cool. It's so cool what that song brings in. You know, just this whole set of songs. I was listening to the first one. I remember, I remember that first song that um, says that you'll never fail. You know, you God, you'll never fail. Uh, you'll never let me down. And that song got really was really popular about the time that I received the diagnosis from the doctor that I had Parkinson's. And in that I felt let down because when I asked God is this is this before I went and got diagnosed it had been spoken that I had Parkinson's. And I said, "God, do I have that?" And he said, "Absolutely." the doctor said what well, he said and I'm like you know you'll never you're, you're never going to let me down what do you mean you just let me down I got mad I got mad at God you ever been mad at God I have and and I thought this was the biggest line of B C I call it bullcorn. this is the biggest biggest load of bull corn I've ever seen you said you would never let me down. The song, those people are singing the song. it's never going to let me down. But I've been let down. But you know what? Our perspective of eternity is not his perspective of eternity. And I don't care what you're going through today. You could be going through some similar things to what Brittany talked about this morning. You could be going through some similar things to what I'm talking about. And you feel like God has let you down. But let me tell you something that song is true. He will never let you down. He will never fail you. He will never even if you feel like you've been failed and even if you feel like you've been let down He will never let you down. He'll never let you be embarrassed. He'll never let you be ashamed. Because He sent His only begotten Son to die on the cross. To take nails into His hands and into His feet. To take a spear in the side. To take a crown of thorns upon his head to be beat to the point of death but not die you've been let down. Directions of our lives, and Father, we're all headed in one direction, but we're all taking different roads to get there. So, Father, I pray that this morning that we would begin to embrace the mess, to embrace the the bull corn, to to to, to 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 embrace the not so good things, so that we can step into the really good things. I thank you, God, that. Setbacks that we experience are just setups in order for you to make a comeback in our life. I thank you for that, God. I thank you and praise you for that. And we'll give you all honor and glory as we move into this day, as we move further into this day. God, I pray that we would let our journeys speak of the goodness of who you are and that you never fail us. In Jesus' name receive that today? All right. Before you sit down, come around and give somebody a big high five. Tell them that you're glad to see them this morning. Not there we go. There we go. Yeah, thank you. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning. Did y'all, did y'all hear me up here a while ago? Just a minute ago? Could y'all hear me alright? Okay, good deal, good deal, good deal. Well, I saw Jeff back there raising his hand, so I, I figured he could hear something. So, anyways, uh, it's good to see y'all this morning. It's it good to be seen? It's good to be seen. Amen. Amen. Well, I was, uh, I, when I came into the auditorium a while ago, I was kind of looking around and there was, Hardly anybody here. And I was like, oh, that, you know, for a, for a pastor, when he looks around and sees empty chairs, he thinks I failed somewhere. And that's, that's the, that's the voice that comes, starts talking. And now that I get up here, we filled in the, we filled in the the chairs pretty good this morning. Amen. 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 So I appreciate y'all coming out this morning. My name is Darren Gleghorn. I'm the lead pastor here at Cowboy Church. And it's an honor to get to stand before you this morning. It feels like forever since I've been up here. And, uh, so we've got good things going on to finish out this year. And speaking of this year, um, I want to tell everybody happy new year. Uh and you say, well, I don't understand that. That happened back in January. Well, in the, on the Jewish calendar, Rosh Hashanah started on Friday night and, uh, Rosh Hashanah means the head of the year. So it's a brand new year in a Hebrew calendar. And we like to regard the Hebrew calendar because it's uh, it's it's God's calendar, you know. Somebody says, uh, you know, are you Jewish? I said, no, I'm not Jewish. I'm Godish. I'm gonna I'm gonna stick to being Godish because that's that's who He is. Amen. He is God, and He always has a plan. So, with that, happy New Year to you. As we get into the next few weeks, we're not gonna talk a whole lot about the Jewish uh, the the. Uh, Fall festivals and things like we usually do at this time of year. Got a lot of other things going on with Robbie Dawkins coming in and things like that. But it's going to be good. I can guarantee you. The things that the the newness of of life that the fall feast bring from the Bible, the the, the newness of life that the fall feast bring, is uh, we're going to experience that just on a different level. Amen. So y'all get it on your mind. If, uh, if you're coming to see Robbie and, and it's going to be good, it's going to be good. So with that, I'm going to get into today's message. All right. If you have your Bibles or if you have, however you do it, if you turn it on or <laughs> flip a screen or open a page, if you would go, go in your Bibles over to Psalm 127, Psalm 127. And, and we started off last week with a brand new series, uh, called arrows and, uh, did y'all, was y'all here last week? Man, Rhett did an awesome job, didn't he? He did a good, he did a great job. And, and it's, I told him, I said, now I don't know, I'm going to preach because you set the bar so high. I don't know if I can, I don't know if I can reach that high. You know, he's, he's a little taller than me <laughs> uh, in the in the physical and the spirit. And uh, But <clears throat> this series was Rhett's idea. He began talking about this a few months ago and, and began talking and he says, dad, I want to do a, a, series with you and, and stuff. And I'm like, okay, uh, what, what does that have to, what does that look like? You know, and you know, what do you do when your son, your, your 22 year old son, 22? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> 20, 22 year old son comes to you and says, dad, I got an idea and, uh, I got a vision and I've got a revelation. I've got a, uh, i 've got a message on the inside of me that I want to do with you. What do you do? Yeah. You do it you get on board and so so i'm I got on board and and I hope that today I can even come close to the to the creativity and the and the, the words that he brought last week. Good stuff amen amen so here 's the deal. Next week we're going to finish out this series, but we're not going to finish it out on our own. We're going to finish it out with you, and so what we just, what we've wanted to do is is pose to you that if through this through his message last week, through my message this week, as we as you hear what we had to say, we want you to to be involved by asking questions. Um, So next, next week we're gonna be up here on the stage and we're gonna, we're gonna sit down and we're gonna have a conversation. Him and I are gonna have a conversation. And in that, we want to answer your questions. So if you've got questions that, that arise on, on this subject and, and things like that, you want to know, uh, anything, you know, you want to know the website where he gets his shoes from or whatever. Let us (laughs) ask the question. So we've got a few ways of being able to do that. We've got boxes sitting back on this uh, exit over here. We've got a box sitting back here. They're little uh, white wood boxes with our logo on it. No cards beside it. You can write your question on the no card, put it in the box. Or you can text our, our church phone. You can text uh, 970-214-4649. And uh, I should have had Brad make a slide of that. But 970 uh, 214 four six four nine. You can text your question to the phone, or you can direct message us by Instagram or by Facebook uh messenger. Right? Did I get that right? (laughs) All right. So you can you can do that and we want to answer your questions. We want to help continue this conversation because you know what? We haven't cornered the market on this whole deal. We're just giving our revelation of what God has shown us through this deal. And and we want you to be involved with us. And we want to answer your questions and be able to talk and tell stories and, and things of our experience and our journey. Amen? Amen? So last week he started talking about legacy. <clears throat> and he said that legacy is a long-lasting impact of particular events or actions upon one's life. And, you know, I started looking into it. And as a child, um, as a child... Who we are is subject to the events, to the actions, to the, to the people, to the things around us. Uh, especially those things are around us in the first three years of our life. Uh, our brain develops the most between two and three years old. 80% of our brain is developed by the time we hit three years old. And the other 20% takes another 17, 18 years to develop. So all those things that happened in our childhood, it is so important <clears throat> that we understand that most of our idiosyncrasies, most of our junk, most of our stuff that we deal with was developed when we were children. That's how we live our life, through the filter of what we had imprinted upon our lives as a child. And so As I begin to look into this, you know, imprint leaves a legacy. You know, I get that word imprint from from the horse industry, is that when you have a a baby horse, a a colt or whatever, that the human hands, human touch, develop that horse's nature for the rest of its life. Amen? Amen? And that's why it's important. And the same thing happens with humanity, with our humanity. The things that are uh, that happen to us when we're little as a child is the things that that cause legacy, good or bad so we want <clears throat> we want to have a good legacy amen we want to have good uh experience we want to raise kids with good experience and man there there ain't nothing better than to understand who you are. And to be able to change those things. That's why you need Jesus. Because that's why Jesus died on the cross. Is so that we could change those bad events. So that we have the power to change those bad things. And those not good things that's happened to us. We have the ability to change those things. Because Jesus did what he did. Amen. I think with, with everything that's in me, I think that the crown of thorns that was shoved down on his head, that we don't really give a whole lot of, we, we give more attention to the nails driven through his hands. But the, the thorns that were shoved onto his head are the very thing that we need to be able to change that brain function. I believe that the, the, the brain is changed by Jesus taking that crown of thorns on his head. Amen. Amen. So as parents or guardians or whoever you are in a child's life, we have been given the responsibility to imprint and steward a godly legacy in our kids. Hello. We have, I don't know if you heard me or not, but we have a responsibility to do that. It's our responsibility. If you're, if you're old enough to make a baby, It's your responsibility to steward that baby. Amen? It's going to get gooder, I promise. (laughs) So, here we are. Psalm 127. Here in Psalm 127, I'm going to start in verse 3 and go through verse 5. And it says this. Verse 3 says, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is our reward, is a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are children, so are the children of one's youth. Happy is the man who has his, who has his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but shall speak with their enemies in the gate. Now, when I was a kid in, in the church that I grew up in, you know, they would sometimes go along and say, "Okay, this this week you've got to do the the scripture reading." This was in Sunday school, and they'd say, "Okay, this week is your turn. You get to do the scripture." And uh you know, which one are you going to do? I never, I'll tell you, I'll ne- I never chose Psalm one nineteen because that is the longest psalm in the Bible. <laughs> I never chose that, but I would choose one of these short ones. I'd choose one of these five verses. You know. Uh, Psalm 118 is a, is a short one, but here in in Psalm 120, Psalm 120 through 134 is a 15 part song of Psalms. It's a song that um, it's called. If you'll see the 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 uh, the the title before the the after the chapters mentioned, then you see the title. It says a song of degrees. Or a song of ascents. And, and so Psalm 127 is a part of that 15 part song of degrees. And Psalm 127 is attributed, scholars attribute Psalm 127, uh, was written by King Solomon. And, and he's only, this was the only one that is attributed to him. The rest are contributed to King David and other writers. But, this was a song, the, the Song of Degrees, that 15-part song, 120 through 134, is uh, it was sung by uh, the people on the pilgrimage to go to Jerusalem. So three times a year, uh, three different feasts or festivals, the festival of Passover, the festival of Pentecost, and the festival of, of uh, Tabernacles was called a pilgrimage festival. In other words, all the men... And their families would make a journey to Jerusalem. Wherever they lived, they would make the journey to Jerusalem. As they went along that journey, they would sing this 15 part song on the way to Jerusalem. Then it was also attributed, scholars attribute this to the priesthood. The priesthood who would, who would go to the, who were, lived in the temple, but when they would go up the stairs, there were 15 stairs, steps that went up to the altar. And as they went to serve in the temple, they would climb those fifteen steps, and every step that they would take, they would sing the the, the songs. They would sing these songs, amen. And so, this is a very important part of the Psalms. It is it is a part of um, of them declaring that God is good, them declaring that God will never fail you, amen. And so Solomon had a part of this. He, he wrote part of this in because Solomon saw the importance of worship among family. It wasn't just about the priesthood. It was about families coming together. It was about families making that pilgrimage to, to Jerusalem. And he saw that it was important for families to worship together. Amen? Am I making sense this morning? But the thing is, is that children, this is what you need to know. Children need to see and hear their parents worship. They need to hear and see their parents pray. They need to see and hear their parents praise. I remember as a kid, I would um, walk into my mom's bedroom, mom and dad's bedroom um, at a certain time in the morning. And when I'd walk in there, I would invariably see my mom kneeling beside the bed with her hands clasped, praying. That's that's burned in my mind. And I know that when I turned a teenager and began to live my life the way that I wanted to live it, my mom's jeans got really white colored and holy down on her knees because she was praying so hard for me. But as a kid, I remember seeing that. I remember seeing the... the. I know... She's probably watching this morning. I know the... the. Uh, yeah, everybody wave. Hi, Mom. Um, I know the... Uh, the humility that my mom has. That she would not say, you know, this is what I did. And I did this to, to help my kids out. She would say, I just did it because God... Answers my prayer and God never fails even when it looks like he's failed God never fails And so children need to see that children need to see you pray Your children need to see you praise and your children need to see you worship. Amen Because what that does it gives them confidence not to be ashamed of the gospel it gives them the confidence that, you know, if my mom and dad can do it, I can do it too. I know that if Jesus is answering my mom and dad's prayers, he's a, he'll answer mine. Amen? I love it when you talk back to me. Even, even, when I don't, even when I don't ask for it. I love it. But raising our kids in the right context of following Christ is not the end game. It's not the goal. Just to raise our kids with, the, with um, the, the context of following Christ. That's not the goal. This is what I've learned about goals. is when you, you, It's okay to have goals. But when you have goals, know that a goal, when it's reached, it stops. So it's better to have a vision beyond goals. So the the, the, the context of following Christ is not the end game. Because this is what Proverbs 13.22 read read this last weekend. But Proverbs 13.22 says, A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. So it doesn't stop with our children. What we put into our children goes on to affect their children. And our children's children's children are affected by what we put into our children. There's so much depth there. God is not a God of of reaching goals. God is a God of going deep, going beyond the goals, going beyond things. It says there, a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. The word good means rich, literally means rich, a rich man. So when we're talking about inheritance, so many times we think about money. We think about things that we have, assets that we have, and, and we think that's, that's something to leave to our children's children. When my dad passed away in 2020, <clears throat> he left an inheritance to me and my brother. He left an inheritance. I remember as a kid, he would step out into the backyard because I lived basically in an auto salvage. There's always, there was always cars all over the backyard and my dad had amassed a a great number of cars. I think I went through 80 car titles after he passed on. I went through his car titles and there were, there were titles to cars that I didn't see. And there were cars to titles I didn't see. But he let, I remember as a kid, he'd step out in the backyard and say, boys, this is your inheritance. And I'm like, thanks a lot. Can we have some cash? He says, when I die, you'll be millionaires because this is what you, and I'm like, okay, three years down the line, I'm like, uh, how can I liquefy this, you know? (laughs) But the cool thing was, is that what he had and what he knew, he left not only to me and my brother, but he also left it to our children. He left an inheritance to his children's children. And even though it's things he left that he he knew I've got I've got two cars sitting in my garage of my kids that are sitting in the garage ready to be finished and run but the thing about it is is uh, it says a rich man or a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children God always looks at going at least two generations deep your life when he looks at your life, he's looking at you to go two generations deep. Your life always affects the next generation, but it goes deeper than that. It affects the next generation's generation. And if you do things the way that God wants you to do things, your children will affect their children's children. And their children will affect their children's children. its It just continues to roll forward. Amen. Amen. It is it is a difficult thing to wrap your mind around sometimes when you think about those things. But as parents, it's it's easy to imprint on our arrows. Our arrows are our children. That's what this this series is about. It's about those those uh, arrows that God has given us, those children that God has given us. And we have the power to imprint upon them. Uh, so many times in this culture in this day uh, What we do with our kids is we put them into competition We we put them in this competition see we can uh, We as as human beings can live vicariously through our kids in sports and the importance of winning and reward mm, yeah. I mean every day we've got we've got our kids in this sport that sport this sport that sport and when this sport ends this sport begins and Before this sport ends, this sport's beginning, and we're just pushing them into every, everything. And we get, we get taken away with trying to make our kids accomplish in sports and in competition what we never could accomplish. But let me tell you something. That's not wrong, but it's not what's written. It's not wrong, but it is what's written. but it's not wrong, but it's not what's written. Parents can imprint their kids as arrows for hunting. And what hunting does, and I'm not bashing on hunters or anything like that. I'm just saying, what do we use arrows for? We use arrows for for hunting, right? And, you know, there's a bow season and all that good stuff. But I'm not talking about the physical hunting. I'm using that as an, an example but what does hunting do? Hunting brings provision, right? Hunting brings provision. It puts meat in the freezer. And that's good. That's a good thing. But what it does in our kids, what, what, what happens when we use our kids as hunting arrows is it drives consumption for us. God never, never says that we are to consume. That, that, uh, consuming is not our life. The world wants us to consume. The world is constantly feeding you with commercials and, and stuff to, to buy our products so that you'll consume. You'll consume easier with our product than you will consume with other people's product. You know what I mean? Yes. Yes. So it's, it's easy to be, uh, to drive consumption in our kids. It's not wrong. The hunting arrow is not wrong, but it's not what's written. Right. Right. Because what is written? Psalm one twenty seven verse four, like arrows in the hand of a warrior. So are the children of one's youth. Solomon here is the writer, is is uh, credited to writing this psalm, and you think about Solomon's life. Solomon was a was the son of King David, right? Solomon was the son of King David. King David. Um, Well, King David's passion was to build a house for God. He wanted a house where God lived. Because up to this point, God has lived in a tent this whole time. When God's presence comes down, he lives in a tent. So his passion was to build a house for God. And he says, God, I want to build you this house. This is the way I'm going to do it. This is what I want to do. And, And when he did that, God says, I want you to build me a house too, but you're not going to do it. He says, why? He says, because you've spilled too much blood. And he says, I can't have the blood that's on your hands building the house that I need. He says, but this is what you'll do. Your child, Solomon, will build my house. So Solomon built the house of God. So Solomon was David's son, and he built the house of God because God gave him a peace time. David was at war Constantly in his 40 years of reigning Solomon once David passed away and Solomon got given the 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 rule of Israel When he got given the rule of Israel They fell into peacetime 40 years of peacetime Solomon was not a warrior, but he was raised by a warrior People looked people were so afraid of David when he was alive because he had slain his tens of thousands the songs went i mean he had songs written about him that said that he slain his tens of thousands and 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 david was the one of the greatest warriors ever and solomon was raised by one of the greatest warriors ever solomon was raised around his, the people that influenced his life the friends of david that influenced his life were called the mighty men of god the mighty men of david These guys had so many miracle signs and wonders that happened to them in war. One guy, it said his hand was welded to the sword and he killed thousands that day. He alone killed thousands. Another one of the mighty men went into a pit on a snowy day and fought a lion and killed it. I don't know. You know, when we think about lions, we think about these lions like in Africa. Right? We think about the big pretty mane and all that kind of stuff. And how bad they are. You know, they're bad. You don't want to, you don't want to get in front of them suckers, right? I mean, they got a paw as big as your head. But the lions that were in Israel during those days, the lions that surrounded the, 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 the plains in those days were badder. They make those, they make those African lions look like kitties. They were mean. They were vicious. And this guy killed a lion in a pit on a snowy day. And he didn't get thrown into the pit. He chose to go in there. <laughs> Idiot. <laughs> so, so, so this is, this is who Solomon is raised by. He's raised by these warriors. He's surrounded by these warriors and he carried the imprint of a warrior. He was raised by the greatest warriors. He was surrounded by the greatest warriors. So he knew the power and the purpose of legacy. He knew it. And the force of impression of his father's imprint is what brought respect of the enemies of Israel. Let me put it this way. The enemies of Israel had high respect and walked softly around Solomon because of who he was raised by. Solomon never lifted a sword, but you didn't want to try him. There's, there's men that I know that are warriors in the ring, warriors in, in MMA and things like that. I've I had the opportunity to be surrounded by these guys. And I'll tell you who I wouldn't mess with. Not only them, I wouldn't mess with them, but I wouldn't mess with their kids either because their kids have been taught how to war. They've been taught how to do the skill that those men carry on the inside of them. I wouldn't have challenged Solomon and Israel's enemies wouldn't challenge Solomon because of what had been imprinted upon him. When When you look at this scripture like arrows in the hand of a warrior, a warrior's arrows are battle ready. Let me tell you something. A warrior going into battle with a quiver... Of arrows on his back, he's not. He's not going to supply his quiver with terrible arrows. He's not going to supply his quiver with crooked arrows. He's not going to supply his quiver with unsharp arrows. He's not going to do it with with uh, the the flet. You know what fletching is? The fletching is the like the fins on the arrow. He's not going to do it that has one. One fin on there. Because it's not going to work true. He has the best of the best. Let me tell you something. The children that God has given you are the best of the best. And He's put these arrows in your hand not only because He's given them to you, but He's given them for you to inspect. He's into He's given them to you for you to have uh, to make them the best of the best. A a warrior's arrows are battle ready, and they're ready to take ground that is rightfully given. Psalm 127, verse 5 goes on to say, Happy is the man who has his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but shall speak with their enemies in the gate. So I looked up this word ashamed. They shall not be ashamed. The word ashamed means to be unsettled to be confused, to be nervous, to be flustered. He says they shall not be ashamed. They shall not be unsettled. Your children, when they speak to their enemy, when they stand face to face with their enemy, they will not be unsettled. When they stand face to face with the diagnosis, they will not be nervous. They will not be confused. They will not be flustered. They will have the confidence of the purpose that God has given them because the God because God has given it to you to steward in them. I'm I am uh, see the Bible says to thank God in everything, but it doesn't say to thank God for everything. I thank God and I praise him in the midst of the, the diagnosis that I've been given. Because me walking this journey out and leaning into God and staying with Him and praising Him in it and thanking Him in it teaches my kids that they'll never have to be unsettled or nervous because of it. They not only come to a place where they defend me and my walk, but they come to a place where they defend the kingdoms that they've been given. And whatever comes at them, any diagnosis, any pressure, any uh, tension that comes to them, they will know because they've watched me handle that. Amen? And so will your kids. It says they shall not be ashamed. They shall be confident in in their purpose. And he says, but they shall speak with their enemies in the gate. They shall speak. I love this word speak because it doesn't mean just talking. It means revealing or reciting the promise that they've been given to speak with their enemies. They are speaking the promise that has been given. I remember when I was a kid, um, you'd get into arguments with your kids in your class with bullies, stuff like that. Kids that would come at you and, and try to put the fear in you that they're going to beat you up or whatever. And you know, Hey, you want to meet out back at the school or whatever. And there's that one time that you finally get that confidence to step up and tell them the promise, you know. You step up and you tell them, I'm going to beat the daylights out of you. I'm going to stomp a mud hole in your butt, you know, stuff like that. And when the kid says, well, is that a promise or a threat? That is a freaking promise right there. I am going to stomp a mud hole in you, pal. When... (laughs) When you make a promise, not just a threat, when you make a promise, all of the sudden, all of the nervousness shifts. It shifts. That's why I like watching MMA. Them guys are mouthy. Man, they're mouthy. They're yakking at one another while the weigh-ins are happening and stuff like that in each other's face. What they're doing is they're saying, I'm not just threatening you. I'm making a promise. Amen. Our children must know the, the territory that they have been promised. That's why it's important to go to church. That's why it's important to put your kids in church. That's why it's important to put your kids in, a, in environments that let them know the promises of God because when they have the promises of God that you have put them into, all of the sudden, they take the territory that that promise holds. They take the territory We cannot leave those things. We cannot leave the territory that God has promised. We cannot leave the responsibility to a coach. We can't leave the responsibility of that to a teacher. We can't leave the responsibility of that to a preacher. We can't leave the responsibility of that to a friend. It's our responsibility. It's our responsibility to steward an imprint God's promise upon their life. Now I'm not saying that you don't you don't leave them in the care of a coach to learn the game. I'm not saying that, but the the promise of the territory, the promise that we've been given, the the promised land that we've been given, comes only to our kids through who we are. We have got to give them the promise. We are we are responsible for them. Defeating territory. Defeating for territory. Let me put it that way. See, we cannot leave it to those people. They will, those people will never be able to bring the passion, the passionate purpose to the, ch- to our children that we will. They'll never, they'll never be able to match what you can bring to your children. And I'm talking to fathers and I'm talking to mothers. It is our responsibility to leave the promise the, the the legacy of the promise of God in our children. amen, yes. our children are our responsibility, responsibility to raise with purpose. So what I want to give you as we get towards the end of this message is I want to give you four characteristics of an arrow, four characteristics and they just revolve around the parts of an arrow. I know i 'm not a hunter I 'm not against hunting. But uh, I mean, I'm like, go out there and kill all the meat. I'll take a tithe. <laughs> I, I I don't know. I think uh, I just think I'm too soft-hearted to be a hunter. But I love to raise hunters. If you if you like hunting, I'll 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 help you. I'll give you all the encouragement to go hunting. But I'm, so I'm not a hunter. So I kind of had to look some of these things up because I don't know. Come here from Sikkim about a bow and arrow. But the four characteristics of an arrow, I wanna I wanna leave this with you. This is and when I do this, this is not just talking about the arrow as an arrow. I'm talking about the arrow as our children in the hand of a warrior. Amen. Number one is the point of the tip. The point of the tip. This is how important as as a warrior inspects his arrow, as he pulls his arrow out, or as he is putting his arrows in his quivers, the first thing that he's looking at is the point. Is my point sharp? Is my point sharp? I love the, the word of God because the word of God leads the way to conquer what is holding our God-given territory, whether it's health, finances, peace, uh, whatever the case may be. Whatever has held your territory hostage is what God leads in. And that's why the point is on the front of the arrow shaft. The point is on the front because it's leading the way. It is going to... It is the thing that takes down the enemy. It is the thing that takes down the animal. It's the thing that takes down everything around them. Because it's the point. It's got to be sharp. You can't have a dull point or you have just ruined the whole reason to have an arrow. The point of the tip has to be sharp. And I love what Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12 says. This is from the Passion translation. And he's here he's talking about a sword, but I want to bring it in as an arrow. It says for we have the living word of God, which is full of energy, it pierces more sharply than a two-edged sword. It will it will even penetrate to the very core of the being of our being where soul and spirit and bone and marrow meet. It interprets and reveals the true thoughts and the secret motives of our heart. The, the arrow that God has given us in our children, we've got to make sure that they are sharp to the point to where they can take down the enemy. Because it's the enemy that's going to take your territory hostage. It's your enemy that is going to try to steal your health. It is your enemy that's going to try to steal your finances. It is your enemy that's going to bring you rejection. It's your enemy that's going to bring you the things that that impact your life in a negative way. That's the enemy. But we've got to know, as arrows, we've got to know, we've got to be sharp enough with the Word of God and let the Word of God lead us to the one and take down the one that's holding our territory hostage. Your diagnosis... It needs to be taken down because the, the enemy is trying to steal your territory. Amen. So number one is the point of the tip needs to be sharp. Number two, the shaft of the arrow has to be true. It has to be true. It cannot be crooked in any way. It cannot be off in any way. It's got to be straight. I love the... Uh, and I know that most of you have heard this before. Somebody says, well, you know that guy? He's straight as an arrow. He's straight. You heard that before? Straight as an arrow? He's straight as an arrow, which means that he has everything right. He has done everything right. He cannot. He's not crooked. He's straight. He's true. He's honest. When you look at this word true, it means to be honest and genuine. John chapter 1 verse 47, Jesus saw, it says Jesus saw Nathaniel, one of his disciples. We don't hear a whole lot about Nathaniel, but here in this context, Jesus saw his, the, the guy that he was going to call named Nathaniel. And as he's walking up toward Nathaniel, um, Nathaniel had already said, uh, his friends had said, hey, you got to come and see this Jesus. You got to come and see Jesus of Nazareth. He is happening. He is the man. And you know what Nathaniel said? He said, nothing good can come out of Nazareth. And Jesus walks up to him. And you expected Jesus to walk up and go, you know, who do you think you are, Jack? But Jesus didn't do that. Jesus walks up to, to, uh, to Nathaniel and he said, this is an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. He said, there's no deceit in him. I like what the uh, New Living Translation says about Nathaniel. It says, a genuine son of Israel, a man of complete integrity. A man of complete integrity. You know what that means? He's straight as an arrow. He's straight as an arrow. To have a chance of hitting your target, the integrity of an arrow must be genuine and true. You don't want you don't want whenever you let go of that arrow that the, the bowstring crinkles the arrow it don't have any integrity it's not true it may look good but if it crinkles the arrow it doesn't have any integrity there's a weakness on the inside of it you want it to be straight you want it to be strong you want it to be integ- have integrity in the air. amen Going towards the target, you want it to have integrity. If we don't build the importance of integrity, honor, respect, authenticity in our children, there will be no room for the kingdom of God to be advanced. If we don't, our children cannot advance the kingdom of God. if we don't build in them integrity and honor and respect and honesty, authenticity, amen? I like what the Bible says in many different places. It says that a crooked man will always be led away. Did you all get that? It will always be led away. In other words, a crooked arrow is gonna go the way that it's it's never gonna hit the bullseye, it's gonna go away. I play golf crooked. I mean, I am, I am consistent with crooked golf. Cause every time I come down on that ball with my driver, almost 90% of the time, pew, it goes off. It never goes towards the end, inc- or it hardly ever goes in- towards the intended target. That's not what you want in an arrow. Well, I'm learning to play into the crookedness. The hole's that way and I shoot, I I hit it this way so it'll curve around. (laughs) Just being real. (laughs) Number three. Number one, you gotta have the point of the tip sharp. Number two, you gotta have a shaft that's true. Number three, you've gotta have fletching. The fletching is the feathers and the fins. What those feathers and fins do on that arrow is keep it stable and accurate. They've got to be set in the right spot on that arrow. As they're set in the right spot, it, it causes a pivot or a, a, a twisting of that arrow as it's flying through the air, but it stays on target. It's accurate and it's stable in the air. We are leaders raising leaders who birth leaders. Are you hearing me? We are leaders. That fletching is something on the inside of who we are. We are leaders who are raising leaders who are birthing leaders. It's multi-generational. And as we're doing that, we're, we're building in that fletching into our arrows. We're building in that stability. We're, we're building in that accuracy. A heart of consistency Patience and self control will always hit the intended target. That's what that fledging does. That's what that stability and accuracy does. It creates consistency, patience, and self control. When a when a warrior pulls the arrow out of his quiver and looks at it, he expects that arrow to do what the last arrow he shot, and he expects to do that arrow to do what the next one he pulls. They're all consistent. They're all stable, they're all accurate. That's what he's looking for. Amen. And number four is the knock. N O C K. The knock. That is the the backside of the arrow that fits into onto the bowstring. Some website that I looked at, looking at these things, that it almost snaps into that into that arrow into that bowstring. There's a piece that when you put that arrow in and pull it back, it snaps in. And what the knock does, it places the correct position of the arrow on the bow. Too high, it shoots down. Too low, it shoots up. But there's a, there's a, a knocking placement on that string many times that you put that arrow in and it snaps in. It's consistent every time to shoot and to be accurate of where you're aiming. Life has a way of bringing tension to our lives. See, when you knock that arrow into that into that bowstring, it's the arrow ain't going to do nothing if you don't put tension on it. The arrow ain't going to do nothing if you put a little tension on it. It's going to go... It's when you put the full tension on it That is going to create what needs to be created in order for the arrow to hit its intended target, right? Right. You all can see what I'm saying? But see, here's the deal. Is that life has a funny way of bringing tension to our life. Discipline, correction, tests, trials, suffering. All of those things bring tension to our life. All of those things are not positive things. In in when we get them. When I'm disciplined. When I, as a kid, when I was disciplined, I hated discipline. Let me tell you something. Your kid hates discipline. Right. <laughs> Rhett talked about, uh, last week, he talked about getting a whooping up in here. You know, he his yeah, I got whoopings. Daddy spanked me. Dang right I spanked him. Because the Bible says that if i don't if i don't spank my kid if i don't discipline my child that i hate him right. and i love my boy <laughs> i love him i loved him almost every day when he was a little one <laughs> you know all and uh, you do that a few times and all you got to do is reach for the spank stick i had a spank stick and i reached for the spank stick you know that i didn't mean that i didn't mean that i love my son and you know what I love my daughter. Yes. She didn't need it so much when she was little, but as she grew up, she needed it more. <laughs> he needed a lot when he was little, but he didn't need it, need it when he got older. The thing about it is discipline, correction. I hate being corrected. You do too. Everybody does. Right. Hates that correction. It just builds that tension on the inside of you that you were wrong. I want to be right all the time. Amen. Amen. <laughs> Tests, trials, suffering—all those things create tension. I think about when, when, when I think about those things creating tension. I think about Joseph in the Bible. When you read in Genesis, what you'll you'll read about a character named uh, named uh, Joseph. And Joseph was a young man who had a dream. He had this great dream, and in the dream, God showed him these great things that he was going to be. He showed him, uh, and just briefly, I'll, I'll tell you. It showed him that his parents and his brothers were going to bow down to him. Now, when you're the youngest and you walk in and say, I got a dream that y'all are going to bow down to me, that don't go over too well at the dinner table. And the Bible says that his brothers hated him for it. So that's what started this building of tension in his life. His The, the tension began to come because his brothers hated him. The tension began to come in that they plotted to kill Joseph. I mean, he's just a kid, and they're wanting to kill him. Then he sold into slavery. They sold him into slavery. Under their father's nose, they sold him into slavery. And every time that I think about everything that he went <clears throat> that he went through, it's one pull back. His brothers hated him. His brothers wanted to kill him. His brothers sold him into slavery. Then he was falsely accused by Potiphar's wife that, that, she, that, David, uh, that Joseph had raped her. He got thrown in prison, the deepest king's prison. Then he had a, a guy make him a promise that when he got out of prison, that he would tell the king about Joseph. And he didn't tell the king about Joseph. More tension. But when he came to a place that the king needed him to interpret a dream, Joseph came out, interpreted the dream, and the king let the tension go. And it propelled Joseph to be the vice president in one moment. Thirteen years he had been pulled back, pulled back, pulled back, pulled back. And there was so much tension on that bow that when that arrow was released, it catapulted him to the vice presidency in one day. He went from the deepest prison to the vice presidency in one day. That's why in James chapter 1 it says, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Count it all joy. Well, I don't, I don't find it too much joy when I get a diagnosis. I don't find it too much joy whenever I go through a trial, a setback. I don't find joy in that, but he says, if you'll find joy in that, it will make it easier to withstand the tension until God's ready to let you go into what he's called you to be. Amen. So we've got to get that knock in who we are. The right tension plus the right position equals enemy elimination. Red, if you want to come on up, you can, son. In Genesis chapter 1, God gave the commandment to Adam and Eve. He said, be fruitful and multiply. He didn't say, be fruitful and add. He said to be fruitful and multiply. Because God doesn't look at life. He doesn't look at our humanity as addition. We're not adding to our families. We are multiplying our families because when my firstborn hit the ground, he already has on the inside of him his firstborn. God don't look at it as I got a kid. God looks at it as I got a kid that's going to have kids. When he married, that brought about a multiplication. I didn't just get a daughter-in-law I got grandkids, and she don't know it yet, or she she's not experienced. She knows it, but she's not experienced it yet. And not only that, I got in-laws that are outlaws. I love doing life with you guys, man. God thinks about it in multiplication. He don't think about it as an addition. And so, being multiplied means becoming numerous. It's exponential. so that God's kingdom territory expands in our lives. Psalm 127 again says, "Happy is the man who has his quiver full of them arrows." Every one of us have a responsibility of arrows in our life. They are an important next generation. We still have that command given to us to to, to be fruitful and multiply and i know that some of you may be sitting there going well i've already had kids and they're gone off or i've never had kids but here's the fact of the matter is that god ain't just looking at your ch- your children physically he's looking not only physically but he's looking at your spiritual children because when you receive jesus christ as your lord and savior when you get into the word of God, whether you have kids or whether you don't have kids, there are people around you that God's going to bring into your life That's going to be your spiritual kids. The things that you learn are now going to be passed on to other people. So you got to be responsible with that. Don't hold your experience to yourself if you don't have kids because there's people around you that God has placed in your life to be your spiritual children and it's meant for them. Amen. Does that make sense? God has put the ability for us to lead, to mentor, to inspire, to influence others. And every one of us, he's placed those things on the inside of every one of us. He's, you're not just a person, you're a mentor. You're not just a, 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 a person, you're a leader. You're not just sitting back and letting your knowledge grow. You've got to lead, you've got to mentor, you've got to inspire, you've got to influence others that are around you. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, the Passion Translation says, Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realm has already been given, has already been lavished upon us as a love gift from our wonderful heavenly Father. Every spiritual blessing that you've been given has been lavished upon you. It's not just been given to you. It's been lavished upon you. Lavished means that you have this passion and it means something to you so much that you want to give it away. Let me tell you something. Everything that God's given you, you can give away, but it will never run out. Because He just keeps lavishing upon us when we give it. In closing, I want to just share a... Just a brief story with you. I was asking Lynette about it last night because we had heard it a long time ago, and I wanted to make sure I had my facts right. Between her and I, I don't know that I still have my facts right, but I'm I'm going to tell you this: what I do know, what I do know. There's a there was a minister. He's gone on to be with the Lord now. His name was John Paul Jackson. John Paul Jackson was a he he was an incredible uh, dream interpreter. He was an incredible prophetic. Uh, Moved in the prophetic gifts and things like that And so he had that gift about him But as he was ministering to other men who had those gifts He was talking to one man in particular that moved so strong in the prophetic He would give words of wisdom, words of knowledge, things like that, that The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 Talks about those nine gifts of the spirit This man operated heavily in those prophetic gifts that are mentioned there in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. But John Paul Jackson was talking to him. He noticed that there was nobody around him. It was just him by himself, this man by himself. And John Paul Jackson asked him, he says, You move so mighty in these prophetic things. He says, You've got you've got a gift of moving in these things. You've got a boldness, you've got a confidence to move in these things. He says, Who are you giving this to? who are you teaching this gift? And the guy says, no one. And he says, well, then the gift will die with you. This is what I'm telling you. If we don't take what God has given us and give it somewhere, put it into something, put it into your children. If you don't have children, put it into somebody who is a spiritual, who you've got a spiritual mentorship with. If you don't give what God has given you, if you don't give it away, it's going to die with you. Another friend of mine, Richard Frieden, over—he's a guy that we give a lot of uh, money to in Israel. He's got a ministry and youth ministry in downtown Jerusalem. He said one time from our stage, he said the greatest natural resources that are available to us, or that have been available to us are now in cemeteries buried with the one who died with it. Guys, we've got to understand that we've got an intentionality that God has given us. He's given us the things that he's given us in order for us to put it into our children, to create a legacy with not only our children, but create a legacy with others around us. Amen? That's what the arrows are about. It's about legacy. It's about children's children. It's about depth. It's about the next and the next generation. Because Psalm 127 verse four says, like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. Man. I want to get to heaven and God say, well done now, good and faithful servant. Not because I did something great for his kingdom, by cleaning the toilets at church or changing diapers at church. That's good. That's good. We need you to do that. But I want to say, I want him to say well done with me because he's looking at my son. He's looking at my daughter-in-law. He's looking at my daughter. He's looking at the people that he placed around me to influence and to, to inspire. I don't want to be guilty of holding it back I don't want to fail in holding it back and I don't want you to fail in holding it back because God has given you a warrior's heart and a warrior's heart carries his arrows with him everywhere he goes to take back the territory that the enemies tried to steal it's like that old song says I went to the enemy's camp and took back what he stole from me Here's the deal. If you need to ask questions next week, to fill in some blanks, fill in some holes, maybe you had an idea, a revelation that came to you, because Rhett and I are only limited to what we have experienced. But maybe you've experienced some things, or maybe you need to know how to walk through a situation that you're walking through right now. You can write that on a note card, put it in the box. You can send a text to 970 and direct messages by Instagram or Facebook Messenger. Ask the questions. Because me and Rhett, we're gonna take the time to set up here. So we need we need y'all to help us talk, alright? With me, I need help talking. With him, he can talk to anybody, anywhere, anytime. I remember as a kid going to the grocery when he was a kid going to the grocery store, and he'd sit in the basket, and I'd push the basket and he would walk, we'd pass somebody, he go, Hello! <laughs> Hi. He had a little cowboy hat on. (laughs) Hi. And when somebody wouldn't say hi back to him, I wanted to shoot him with an arrow. (laughs) Anyway, he's a cute little rascal. All right, I got to, I got to close. Let's, let's pray real quick. Let's get the, get the feel of God back in the room. Father, I thank you so much. I thank you so much, God, for who you are. I thank you for giving us arrows. I thank you, God, you've given us not just arrows, but you've given us the responsibility to steward and the responsibility to build into our arrows what you desire for them. God, even to the second and third generation, God, I thank you so much to, to a thousand generations. God, you are faithful. You are true and you bless us. And I thank you, God. God, I thank you for writing in Writing in that Psalm 127, verse 5: Happy is the man. Happy is the person. Happy when their quiver is full of sharp arrows, straight arrows, knocked arrows, fletched arrows. God, I thank you that the characteristics are already built. We just need to imprint on them. So, Father, I thank you for your wisdom, knowledge, and understanding. I thank you for the true riches of who you are that came through Jesus Christ. And Father, right now, if there's anybody under the sound of my voice that has never asked Jesus to be their Lord and Savior, they've never said yes to being a disciple, they've never said yes to following you, Jesus, I pray that right now that, they, that their yes would be at the forefront of their lips, that as you have died on the cross and shed your blood, Father, I pray for that person who has never said yes to you, And that right now, in this moment, they would say, I don't know what this looks like. I don't know what it looks like, the journey going forward. I don't know what it's about. But all I know is that I've got to have something to help me build my arrows in life. And I've got to have Jesus as that. Jesus, I say yes to you right now. Father, I thank you so much for those that are saying yes for the very first time. And I thank you for those that are saying yes because they want to be equipped with the arrows that take back the territory that the enemies try to steal. I praise you, God. I thank you for all that you are. I thank you for all that you do. God, we love you. And we'll never stop. In Jesus' name, amen. So.